Want to do it? Yeah. Sit down. Shut up. We got some insulin for the two people that I have some in my office if you guys need it from the two peeps. Um, so uh, what, what Amir uh, did not tell you, Pastor Amir and I are running in the Russ Vegas half marathon together, and this is my co-partner in crime. We are, uh, are going to destroy. Where's Josh Rawls? Is he in here? Hey, Josh Rawls. You're going down, buddy. Have another peep. Uh, we're, we're actually, we're, running, we're doing uh, two-man team relays, and uh, did, look, your pastor, when we ran the Little Rock Half Marathon together, first of all, he's very fast. I don't know if you realize this. Svelte as well. Very, very. Okay, so we're in the massive crowd. There are thousands of people. I don't know, it was like six, 7,000 people. All some weird people dressed up. There's a, a dude dressed up like Wonder Woman, and it was, it was nasty. I'm just telling you it was disgusting. None of this is in the notes. But Amir drops down in the middle of this thing and just starts doing push-ups, and we are screaming and cheering for him. I mean, your pastor just, he owned this. I'm just telling you, everywhere he goes, what you see up here, the excitement, the energy, the encouragement that you see in him, I want you to realize how incredibly blessed you are, because we pray for God's best for you, and I believe that when we prayed that, God sent this man to be a pastor of you guys, young adults and college students. Give it up for that guy right there. Yeah. All right, so it, yeah, uh, some of you spring break, some of you were making cash money and you stayed here, young adults, I get that. Do me a favor, throw, throw up the, uh, the picture, because I saw this on social media last week during spring break, and this was, it was depressing, but I saw this one, because um, people really don't know what to do when their friends leave town, they don't know what to do when um, everybody's gone, when they have no food in the refrigerator, people really start to freak out, and uh, this is, I saw that last week, and the hashtag was, I miss my friends, the struggle is real. That was... That's depressing, man. That's spring break. That's terrible. Some of you are on the beach, and some, some people are back home with that. Tripping breakers trying to heat their pizza up. All right, get that off there. Okay, um, speaking of Easter, speaking of Easter, and I'm going to go way out of order on this one. Did you guys have the, the, the aerial with, uh, from Easter, that one? Can you guys put that one up there? Okay, and this will come into play later on. Um, uh, so this is a, a picture last year. This is Easter service last year here. This was our uh, 9.30 service last year, and that's our parking lot as is right now, and um, I don't know if you guys can see this, but every single, so I ran out in the middle of worship, like, we got to get the drone in the air. Sorry, just nerd alert. So I, we get that because I'm thinking, this place is full, right? And you see the place is packed, I'm like, that parking lot has to look amazing. And we send this thing up there and get this picture, and there's a car, it's way over on the right, you can't see it, but there's a lady and she's at 10 and 2, and her eyes are barely coming over the steering wheel. And she's driving around trying to find this parking spot. While I'm out there flying this thing, and we're taking a picture, every single parking space is taken up. Illegally parked, parked on everywhere that they're not supposed to be. People ran, ran over the cones. Their tires are on the cones. They're back in the dirt all the way in the back. And this lady passes me like four or five times. And I promise you, she is cussing me out. Because I'm standing there not paying any attention. She's like, why are you not getting me a parking spot? And I want you to know something. We're in this series, Occupy All Streets. This is what Easter is about, is getting people here, getting people to hear the message and the hope of Jesus. And I just want you guys to know something. When you go and you invite, even if you're not going to be here, tell somebody to come. Because I promise you the gospel is going to be presented in a way that they're going to they're want, they're going to crave, they're going to say, I want to know what's, what is that? Bring them here for Easter. It's the easiest time of the year. We'll talk more about that. When we talk about Occupy All Streets, this is what we're talking about. So um, let's do this. Let's jump into this thing here. Um, you know, Amir kicked this thing off uh, a few weeks ago, and then Seth spoke, was two weeks ago? 
These guys did an incredible job. I'm just going to wrap this thing up. I want to talk a little bit. This, this message is called No Excuses. And um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go through a, a story here really quickly. I want to set up just this one thought really, really quick. You do realize that this is not some series that they came up with like Occupy All Streets. That sounds like a great hashtag. No, nobody does that. Jesus is the one who started this whole thing. We talk about Occupy All Streets. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, we'll talk about occupying all streets, but then we're going to talk about occupying the entire city, and that's what Jesus did. So this past Sunday is Palm Sunday, and you know if you studied the Bible, you know this. It, that's, it's kind of like the downhill slide from, from that moment. It's Jesus is headed towards the cross after that. So we celebrated this past week, but in that, Jesus is basically he's entering into Jerusalem, and he literally gets a donkey, and, and his disciples lay a coat across the donkey, and he gets on there, and they ride him into town. And they literally, all the people come from everywhere, and they're putting their coats and their jackets down on the ground. They're cutting down palm branches. They're waving them in the air. They're saying, Hosanna to the king. He is the son of David. This is the one we've been waiting for. He's Jesus. And they're putting all this stuff down as he rides through. I'm going to read you the scripture. It's not in your notes, not anywhere. Let me make sure I got this right. It's actually Matthew 27, and uh, don't worry about putting up on the screen. It's actually verse 10. You guys can look at this later. Uh, Matthew 21, verse 10. It says, the entire city of Jerusalem was in an uproar as he entered. That's not Occupy All Streets. That's Occupy the entire city. The entire city of Jerusalem is in an uproar. And here's what they asked. Who is this? And they said, this is Jesus. This is the one that we've been waiting for. Now, here's what's crazy. You talk about an Occupy the whole, I mean... Jesus was it. It was the real deal, right? So he's on this, this high right there. The reason why people put down their coats, the reason why they put these palm branches, it was very significant. It was this, this symbolism because the Bible says that every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord, that he is above all things. And it was them basically laying everything else down, saying, we don't even want you to touch the earth right now. We're going to put our stuff down so you can come through here and be clean. And he comes through, and he has this celebratory moment. But it, it's not all... Like when we say, you know, God has a purpose and a dream and a plan for you, it's not always going to be easy, but we can never think that it was easy for Jesus. I have this tendency sometimes to think that because he was Jesus, like he just had, he knew it was coming up. He knew he was flesh. I mean, he was a man. He went through everything. And so I don't know if you, if you look at the way the story plays out, but he, he comes through town. He literally, I say pulls up. You don't know, he wasn't driving this donkey, but he pulls the donkey up to the side of this thing. He gets off and he walks into the temple. He goes up the steps. You know the next thing he does? Read, read ahead in this one, Matthew 21. The very next step is all those people who were like charging people money and all those people. Remember when Jesus goes and he throws the tables over? That's the next thing. Like, Hosanna to the king. He walks in and he's like, what QVC? And he's throwing this stuff out. Then he goes over and he curses a fig tree. Then he goes and he tells this other story. He has to go on this... And, it's not all incredible. There are things that come in the way of what God wants for you to do, but Jesus never used an excuse once. If anybody could have, think about it, he could have. The Bible says he prayed so hard that he literally sweat drops of blood. He said, look, if, 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 you, if you don't mind, God, could this cup, could it pass? Could you please take this thing away? But not my will, what your will is. And I want you to know that God has a will for your life, and his will for your life He's got a purpose and a plan for you, but it involves reaching and rescuing people. No matter what anybody tells you, it comes down to these two things, loving God and loving people. So much, in fact, that you're willing to do whatever it takes to go reach them. That's what Occupy All Streets is about, okay? So let's do this. Um, I'm so far off. No, I'm sorry. I'll apologize to everybody. In the, I'm way off. Luke 14 is a story. Um, 
And this is gonna, this is gonna talk a little bit about excuses really quick. Jesus is in this, this big gathering and this guy comes up to him and he's just talking to him. And Jesus says, hey, this is a good time for a story. I'll respond to the story, which may have been very frustrating to people. You ever think like, Jesus, why, why does this happen? Let me tell you a story. And then so Jesus goes in and is like, ah, got me again. So it's Luke 14, uh, verse 16. And I'll, I'll read through this really quick, and then we'll come back and, and we'll, we'll wrap this thing up. Um, Jesus replied with this story. A man prepared a great feast and sent out many invitations. And when the banquet was ready, he sent his servant to tell the guests, come, the banquet is ready. Just so you know, the Bible uses things called types and shadows. So this is an example of, of God, the heart of God, is he wants his house to be full. That aerial photo, he wants the house to be packed. He doesn't want a single parking space. He doesn't care about the illegal parking. He wants his house to be full. That's what this story is representing, okay? And he said, come, the banquet is ready. But they all began making excuses. One said, I've just bought a field and I must inspect it. Please excuse me. And another said, I've just bought five pairs of oxen and I want to try them out. Mm. Please excuse me. Another said, I now have a wife so I can't come. And the servant returned and told his master what they had said. And his master was furious, and he said, go quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. And after the servant had done this, he reported, there's still room for more. So his master said, go into the country lanes and behind the hedges and urge anyone you find to come so that the house will be full. Okay, there's, there's two different kinds of environments. There's, there's the environment of, of I can, and there's the environment of I cannot. They're just, that, that's it. And, and basically, these people are all coming together. The Bible even goes on. It says that they were, uh, they were of one accord. Another translation says they were of one accord. They're basically saying all. Everyone had an excuse. But it's amazing the way excuses tend to affect an entire environment. They can change everything. And this, this master, he got ticked off. He said he was very angry. Um, they all started making excuses together. And uh, you know how some... Have you ever heard somebody say all, like, man, everybody's blah, 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 or man, everybody thinks of this, or everybody, all, man, all these people. I love to, <laughs> I learned this, man, it's Pastor Rick sometimes, he'll just cut to the truth of it. I, remember, I was in a meeting one time, and somebody goes, well, everybody's, they, they, they really don't like that one. He goes, everybody? I want to hear who everybody is. You ever do that? Like, get in a, get in a conversation where everybody goes, man, all the people out there, they do not like this song. You're like, all of them? Well, give me a list of who all is, and it's usually like two. It's two, and you is really what it is. But in this case... It was everybody. Everybody had an excuse, and they just came with them, and they're like, look, I can't do it, I can't do it, I can't do it. They all started making excuses, and the question I want you guys to ask yourselves is one that I'm asking myself as well is, what excuse do I really have? Write it down somewhere. Ask yourself in this time. Ask yourself later when we're doing worship. Ask yourself, what excuse do I really have? Now, these guys, they basically, they come up with these reasons, and, and they sound pretty legit. The first guy says, look, I, I bought a piece of ground, some land. May I be excused? He asks it. Another guy says, I bought five pair of oxen, and I'm asking, can I be excused? The last guy says, guys got married, so I, I can't come. Can I please be excused? Do you notice what all three of those guys, they all sent around? What's the one dominant word in all three of those? I. Oh, my gosh. You, you, you've ever been around a person like that where they are only talking? I do it, and I, it's a bad habit. But if I get around one of those, kind of, those type of people, they're only talking about themselves. I start to count how many times they say the word I, and I can, it's like a silent count. I'm running in my head, and I just... I, I don't even know. There's this nervous nod that I'm like, 12, 13, cannot stand any 15. I got you. It, just, it, gets, it gets really frustrating. This is what happens. This is going to sound, it's, it sounds really, really simple, but this is very, very important. When we are focused on ourselves, we cannot focus on anyone else. 
When we are focused on ourselves, now I did not say on anything else, you absolutely can, but when we are focused on ourselves, we cannot focus on anyone else because if you're focused on someone else, you have to completely let go of your own needs, your own wants, whatever. And we have this tendency so much in our culture today to think about what we get, what we're going to do, and we have excuses. Um, a lot of times I can come up with a reason, a legitimate reason, and these reasons sounded pretty legit. God's just saying, I want people in my house. I want people to come. I want to be close to them, and they, and they had a, a fairly good reason. I can't have a wife, therefore I, I can't. Cannot is, is the language of excuses. Cannot is the language of excuses. Now, this servant, he came, and he said, look, uh, they're, they're not coming. There's nobody out there. And he said, good, then go get the lame, go get the poor, go get the sick, go get the weak, go get the crippled, get all of them, bring them in. Now, you got to know this as well. God wants you in the middle. His dream of reaching people, his dream for your life, his plan for your life is incredible. And at some point, God's going to move. He's not going to move past you. He's going to stay there. He's going to continue to work on you. But just, you just got to know this. If he doesn't use you, he'll use the lame, he'll use the sick, he'll use the poor, he'll use the blind. It does not matter. God still wins no matter what. We just have to ask ourselves, do I want to be a part of it or not? Because God is going to do it. I do not want to be the guy at the end of my life going, man, I, I, get, I could have been a part of this thing, but what did it, why did I hold back? Why did I not jump in and do this thing? I don't want to live my life that way. So that word cannot is definitely the language of excuses. So that servant basically says, look, there's still room. And he goes, all right, go to the next level. Go to the highways, go out to the country roads, get them and bring them in. This same spirit of, of the excuse, um, and we, we get really, really good at them. I get good at them sometimes. The same spirit of an excuse, it actually started with original sin. I don't know if, if you thought of this. The original sin was in the Garden of Eden. It's Adam and Eve. And Adam and Eve, they, they're, they're there in the garden, and, and obviously, you know, they, they eat of the fruit of the, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And they make this decision, and God basically says, you know, it's, it's over. And, and they, they immediately notice that they're naked. They, they run off and they hide because God's coming. He comes and he hangs out with them. And he comes down, and, and it's actually in, in uh, Genesis chapter 3, uh, verse 11. The Lord God asks, he says, have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? And, and here's where the excuses start. The man replied, it was the woman you gave me who gave me the fruit, and I ate it, right? So it's like, it's, you, it's your fault. And then the Lord God asked the woman, he's like, well, what have you done? And she says, well, the serpent deceived me. She replied, that's why I ate. Now, along with this, this original sin came the foundation of sin. Sin foundationally started right there. But what you probably haven't thought of is that sin and excuses only have one degree of separation. Because the root word, the Greek word for sin actually means to miss the mark. That's what the meaning of sin is, to miss the mark. But the actual root of what, what excuse means is a reason to miss the mark. So original sin enters in, and immediately what happens, right after sin, what happens? Immediately an excuse comes in. Well, here's why I did that. Here's why I can't do that. Here's why I shouldn't do that. Original sin entered that way. And, and if we think about it, that's contrary to what God's purposes are for our lives. God's purpose is for us to hit the mark. Our purpose is that we would stand and then continue to stand, that we would hit the tape at the end of our lives. God doesn't want us to draw back into mediocrity and not accomplish everything that he has for us. He wants us to hit the tape. The Apostle Paul talks about it a lot. The Apostle Paul, actually, in Philippians 3, I'll read this in a second, um, he talks about this. I don't know if you know very much about his story. And this is, a, this is kind of off the topic, but I... Do you guys notice how many movies are out there right now that are all centered around the Bible? Because we had, we had Moses and Noah and all these different ones. Today, I don't know if you guys saw it in the news, today, Hugh Jackman, 
actually just signed on to play the lead role in the movie The Apostle Paul. Hollywood and culture is craving for what is in the Bible. They just don't understand what that need is. They don't understand where it's coming from. Here's the even crazier thing. You know who's producing it? Ben Affleck and Matt Damon. They're producing The Apostle Paul starring Hugh Jackman. Get, buckle up, people. 2017, man, it's coming. It's Wolverine for crying out loud. Okay, so we're talking about the Apostle Paul. I'm just like, oh gosh, I don't know. I don't know. All right, the Apostle Paul, here's what he says in Philippians chapter 3. You, you do realize that. Don't use this as an excuse to think that the people around you are not hungry for the Word of God or they're not hungry for the truth. They are. They just don't know how to rationalize it. They can't quantify what's going on inside of them. But Hollywood has figured it out. In fact, $170 million they're riding on whether or not the Apostle Paul is going to bring money in at the box office. They're willing to put their money on something that we sometimes as the church don't even believe that somebody else really wants and we won't speak up and say something about it. I'll get off the soapbox. All right, I'm off. That apparently is a soapbox over there. So if I ever come back over here, you guys are safe. All right, <laughs> Philippians 3. This is what Paul said. He said, I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. Paul says, I press on toward the prize and the goal and the upward calling. I press toward the mark. That doesn't sound like excuse to me at all. And of all the people that had excuses, he could have used them. He had so much stuff happen to this guy, but he said, I press on. He said, I continue to press on. We are called to be spiritual marksmen. We are. We're supposed to be spiritually sharp, but we can never do what God's accomplished or God has called us to do if we're not actually looking at what the target is. And the target is love God. That's first. That's how we occupy all streets. If you, if you walk around out of a first loving God, it is naturally going to happen next. Connect, serve, grow. We talk about it all the time. Really, it ends up being mobilized is what it is. That's what serve is. We walk through the city differently because we think differently, because we're walking out of a love that is, is coming straight from God. God loves other people. If we love him, it's inevitable. It's going to happen. You can't hate people and love God. Not possible. Can't happen. All right. That, that picture that we showed you, um, it, uh, the, the aerial shot, you know, it's far away. What happens sometimes is, uh, is early on, as, as a young adult, as a college student, you know, maybe you're engaged, you're married, whatever, you're starting off. Things seem very attainable because they're close. But the older you get, and it seems counterintuitive, you're like, wait a minute, the older I get, you think the more wise you get, the more you know. There are 60-year-olds and 70-year-olds who are less confident than any 20-year-old I've ever been around. Why? Because they've drifted so far away, they can't even see the target anymore. Does that make sense? It's so far away, they don't think that they can get it, and they, don't, they, don't, it, it's, they start to lose it. So I, I have the privilege of not just pastoring here in Conway, but I get to be on a team uh, with incredible people in our creative department. They're, they're a blast. They have a ridiculous, sense, cutting, witty sense of humor. Just you got to be on your A game. But these guys, about three years ago, we started to use drones to take some of those pictures. And I just want you to know something. This, like that photo um, is, is a good one, but it didn't always start off that way. So the first few that we got, they were really, really bad, okay? The first few drones that we got, it was like, here, tape this GoPro to this helicopter and send it out and just hope it comes back. It was, it was kind of like that. So the woman conference about two, maybe three years ago was the first time we really tried to use this thing. And I wanted to get a photo of, of this event because there, you know, there are 2,000 women from all over the globe or whatever, I'm exaggerating, but they're coming together and they're at our Little Rock campus and, and I wanted to get this shot. So we're standing in the back of the parking lot. It's Saturday morning. Everybody's dressed up nice. The cars are coming in. So we'll do this. I'm going to take you through. 
through the sequence. I just want you to know, this is, this is, we'll title this segment Aerial Doom, okay? Because this has a terrible ending. I just want you to know, just get ready for it. It's a terrible ending. The reason why this thing went really bad is because the further away that this drone would get, the worse the connection was. And, and the further away it got, you couldn't see what it saw. So you, it was all line of sight. It's called line of sight. It's not first person view, it's line of sight. So if you can't see it, you can't control it. So we're at the back of this parking lot. Why don't you put this first picture up here and we'll start. And this is terrible because right off the bat, the battery that you see that thing going across. This is so amateur. The, right off the bat, we're standing right down there at the back. You, I don't know if you can see us. There's a golf cart and some guys right there. Like, hey, dude, what's that? Okay, people are freaking out. But we've already, we've already messed things up. The battery compartment has, has come down over the camera. So this is already a failed expedition, okay? Just so you know, it never had a chance. But the, these things only have a seven-minute battery life. And the controls on them are terrible. They're shoddy. It's, it's, it's bad. So... What we've done is we've set the GoPro up to take pictures every two seconds. So we're about ready to walk you through a slideshow towards failure, okay? That's what this is. This is the first one. Why don't you click to the next one? And this is us getting closer to the building. All right, we're a little closer. You're like, yeah, that battery thing is still in the way. So we couldn't even use this if we wanted to. Go ahead to the next one. Now, where I'm at in the back of the parking lot is I'm gunning it because it's flying at 25 miles an hour over my head towards a building. I think we're going to do a flyby. We're going to get these pictures, and I'm going to come right up over the building. It's going to be incredible. Hundreds of women, all nicely put together. They smell like perfume, and they're, they're getting ready to go just hear from God. And this thing sounds like a swarm of bees. It's like, you can't get it. The downdraft is terrifying. I, we can't even see what we're doing. And this thing is headed towards him, but I don't realize that I'm, I have lost, I've lost control and I've also, I have almost no battery. So this, this is important. Tick to the next one. Um, this, is the, this is the last best photo of, of the women that are here. Um, go ahead and click. If we wanted to use that, we could crop it maybe. Go ahead and click to the next one. This is almost when it's hitting the building because it's headed straight forward at 25 miles an hour. So you blink and this thing is going right over your heads. Women don't know what's coming, but this thing hits. This next photo, I want, it, I, wish we, I want to put this on our Facebook banner. I want this to be on our album cover for our next worship album. I want it to be that. But click to this next one because it's hit the building. It's falling over. We're upside down. And then the next one is the, the best reaction. This woman has no idea what is happening, but this thing is about ready to hit the ground. That's half a second before this thing shatters into 100 pieces on the ground in front of her, and she doesn't know who she is. Hit the next one. This thing is upside down on the ground, spinning still while women are trying to dodge it down underneath here. And then the next one is some dude, actually this is Pastor Ben Watson, our kid life pastor. He grabs it and saves it and walks it away while these women are staring at him. The next set of, of photos are bad because now you got a bunch of ushers and security. Security are looking at it like, what is going on? This, the reason why this failed, and please take that off there. I don't I never want to see, I had to go dig these up and I want you to know this was bitter. I was just bitter over the whole thing. We've had so many near, near disasters with these things, but because the, the further you are away from them, the harder they are to control, and it's all based off of line of sight. What I want you to know is it's no different in your walk with God. The further away you are from the target, the harder it is to keep your focus, and at some point, you actually stop aiming and you stop drawing back the bow anymore. You're not even, you're not even drawing back the bow you're not even willing to take a shot because it's so far away. People don't understand how they can wander away from God, but the thing is you take your eye off the mark so many times after a while you drift and you just don't know it. You're hydroplaning spiritually. Does that make sense? So the, the biggest thing that I can tell you today is that where you're at right now in your walk with God, even if you're just new to this, 
is right now make a decision away from the pressure of legitimate excuses. I own a business, I own some land, I own some oxen, I'm getting married. Those all sound fairly good, especially in that time. They sounded legit. Who's going to say, no, don't be married and don't do that? What? Don't take your eye off of it now. Make the decision away from the pressure of life before it hits. Make that decision now. We'll talk about that a little bit more, okay? In Psalms chapter 78, and I'm just going to have to, um, I'll paraphrase all this. I'm not going to be able to go through the whole scripture. There's this, there's this group of people that, this is the Spirit of God. He's actually speaking about this group, and these are his chosen people. This is, a, this is an army of people. They're warriors of Ephraim is who they are. And basically what God is doing is he's saying, don't end up like these guys, because these are my chosen people. This is my chosen group, and they're incredibly gifted. They're warriors. They're skilled in every way. It's, it's Psalm 78, uh, verse 8 through 9, if you guys want to go through and read it. But he basically says, don't be like them. Don't be like their ancestors. They're stubborn, rebellious, unfaithful, refusing to give their hearts to God. Next part. The warriors of Ephraim, though armed with bows, turned their backs and fled on the day of battle. Basically, he's saying, these are the youngest, the brightest, the best that I had. But because they forgot who I am, because they forgot the hope that I gave them, because they forgot of everything that I brought them through, they took their eyes off of it. And though they were armed, you're not talking about people who don't know God. You're talking about skilled people. These are the best marksmen that they had, bows and arrows at the front line going into battle. And all of a sudden, they just turn around and walk away. They're armed. They've got this stuff in their hands, and they walk away from the fight. Why do we do that? This is such an incredible example. It's so easy to see this because it's, it's, it's written out for us, but sometimes when it plays out in our lives, we don't, we don't see this thing coming. They take their eyes off of what God has done in their life. They forget how God did these incredible works, his wonder, his glory, all these miracles that you're like, what? No, you split the Red Sea. They forgot about it. Like, how do you forget that? We're making movies off it right now. That was... 20 years ago, how are you forgetting? They completely forgot about it. They said, we don't even know who God is. We're walking away from this thing. And they bailed on it. And it's written there. God says, don't become like them. They were children of God who forgot who God was. If we use excuses, you will turn back. And we all have excuses. You will at some point turn back. You'll actually turn your back to what God's called you to do. And I don't want to be the kind of person at the end of my life that people say this about me. Not that I turn my back, but that I was called, that I was armed, and I never took a shot. I don't want anyone to say it about me. If you're armed and you've got to know this, man, this is Old Testament. You're not even talking about people who have Jesus on the inside of them. You're not even talking about people who God has poured his spirit out and filled people up. We're talking about people who understood God and his presence and the fiery wrath of God and the person of God, but they didn't have him on the inside. You and I walk around with the spirit of God on the inside of us, and we've got to know that we are called and that we're armed. You got to know that when you walk through class, when you walk through your job, when you walk through this city, you got to understand that God will never leave you nor forsake you and that he's called you by name, okay? So, 2 Kings 13 is another example. I, obviously, I'm not going to have a chance to, to go through this whole thing either. 2 Kings 13 is basically this. Um, there's, there's this prophet, his name is Elisha. This, this, this man is incredible. He's done unbelievable things. He's a prophet. And basically, he's at the end of his life. He's dying. He's on his deathbed. And this king runs in, and, and he knows him well. And he knows that Elisha's dying. And he runs in, and he's literally weeping over him. He's crying over him. And he's crying not so much because Elisha's dying, but crying because this army is coming to attack. And he's saying, look, I can hear the hooves of the horses that are, of the people that are coming to attack. And I hear them coming. 
He said, please help me. And this man's on his deathbed, and he says, I want you to go get your bow and go get your arrows right now. He's like, what? He gets up, runs out, goes and comes back in, and he said, I want you to draw back your bow. And he asks his servants to open up the east window in the room. They open this window up, and he says, take an arrow, draw back this bow, and he does it. The king is literally right there. He's literally drawing this thing back. And Elisha reaches over and puts his hand on his hand as he's drawn back. He says, I want you to let this arrow fly out this window. This arrow flies out the window, and he says, that arrow is the arrow of the Lord. And it is going out ahead, and that signifies victory in the Lord. Before the battle ever even gets to your front door, I want you to know that this is God's presence going out before you. Before you ever get there, before you ever get to the street that you're called to occupy, the Spirit of God is going there before you. And he looks out there, and he sees this arrow go out. And Elisha tells me, he says, I want you to take the rest of your arrows. I want you to strike the ground. <laughs> and you and I, I'm looking at the same thing. I'm like, you wanted what? He goes, strike the ground right now. So he starts hitting the ground with these arrows, and he hits three times. One, two, three. And he looks up at Elisha, and Elisha is furious. On his deathbed, ill, he's furious. He's like, why? So why did you stop? You could have hit it five, six, eight, a hundred times. You could have kept hitting. Why did you stop at three? He said, God will give you three victories, but after that, you're on your own. You gave up too soon. Now, this is the most depressing part of this. This is going to be the Debbie Downer moment of this scripture because you're like, what? what? Why would that happen? Verse 20, it says right after that, he said, now you'll be victorious only three times. Verse 20, then Elisha died and was buried. I, what? Like, What? How would you like to beat him, this king, holding these arrows? You hit the ground three times going, you failed miserably. You're only going to have three victories and then dies. And you're holding arrows going, what in the world? What? what happens is we give up when we see a little bit of a change before we see the full victory. And God wants to do something in us. And he doesn't want us to quit until the victory is done, until it's finished. And this guy's standing there realizing, I, I, I pulled up too short. I retreated. I pulled back. God doesn't want you to do that. He wants you to continue the fight. And what that could be is that could be standing up for what you believe in. That could be talking to someone about your faith. That could be praying for somebody. It could be serving. It could be getting committed. It could be getting in the word. It could be prayer. Whatever those things are, God doesn't want you to give. We give up when it's comfortable for us. And when we see the first portion of change, we don't see it all the way through. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get way off my notes here, but I, I just want to say this to you. The reason why I say this, and I, and I say it hopefully with a little bit of Look, I, there's a reason why I'm speaking about no excuses, and, and I'm not standing up here because I've got this one figured out. And the reason why I say this about no excuses is because I made them and because I quit. It's why I can confidently tell you guys, don't quit, because I did it. My wife, Gina, and I, um, we got married. Uh, my dream was to you know, do ministry. I didn't know that's what it was. And, and when I started working at the church, I thought, this is my dream job. I, we were doing student ministry and creative oversaw the whole creative team. I was like, this is the best thing ever. And I was convinced we just had our, our first child, Roman. He was born. And we, just, we didn't make a ton of money. I'm just going to be honest with you. I didn't get into ministry to make a lot of money. I got into ministry because I knew I was called to it, and it was an absolute blast. I loved it more than anything. But I came up with a reason to quit. And my reason was because I can't provide for my family. I'm getting free cheese and free milk and, and peanut butter I'm, at night, and I would go to the store. I was embarrassed by it. And I convinced myself to quit, and I quit. I walked away from church. I'm telling you, you'll hear Pastor Rick say it. So many times he can be tempted to quit when things get really, really tough. And I'm so proud of the fact that he never has. But I'm standing here telling you I did. And I walked away for, from it for about two and a half years. I became chief operations officer at a pretty decent-sized company. 
I was definitely skilled to do it, but I promise you I wasn't called to. And I walked away from it, and I immediately had regret. Now, God taught me some unbelievable lessons in those two and a half years. I learned more in those two and a half than all the previous years of being in ministry. But I want you to know, God gave me another chance, and I got back. I just want you to understand, God will never give up on the dream that he's called you to. It just depends on whether or not you're going to make excuses, or you're going to try and get off the track that he's called you to, or you're going to stick it out when every good reason pops up. Look, the one guy said, I, got, I own land, right? Good excuse. I own oxen. These, I, I got to work. The other guy says, I'm married. Listen, I'm going to say this to you guys. This may seem crazy. A lot of times, men, I want every guy in this place to look at me. Whether you're married, you're dating, whether you're, you're engaged, I just want you to know something. Your future wife needs you to be the spiritual leader of the home. Now, a lot of times we talk about being the leader of the home. You're like, woman, you're going to, okay, that's not how it rolls. That's not, trust me, things will go bad. The spiritual leader of your home is very different. But here's what, here's what your wife needs you to do, is not hide behind her as an excuse for why you won't serve God. Because so many of us, we do this. Well, I can't because I'm married. I need to take care of my family. I need to work more. I promise you, your wife will respect you more if you honor God and serve him strong and you can barely put two pennies together and barely get a meal together. If the two of you are going after God together and what he's called you to do, your wife will follow you to the ends of the earth. I promise you. Here's what happens. I'm on it. I'm on this side. It's, I'm on this side. Listen, I'm going I'm to throw this out here, okay? This is what, this is what happens. Um, young people, please listen to me. If, if you're engaged, if you're going to get married, you're, you're, so many times we use this as an excuse. We say, look, I'm going to take some time off and focus on, on my wife or focus on my spouse. There's, inherently, there's nothing wrong with that. But I want you to know it's one of the biggest mistakes I see people make. And that may seem counterculture to what you think the Bible says, but I just want you to tell, I want to tell you from experience, some of the most incredible marriages I have ever seen are marriages where they have served together alongside each other through dating, through engagement, through marriage, through kids. I've got three kids. I'm going to tell you this. My wife and I served in student ministry when we dated. I'm not telling you ours is the greatest marriage. That wasn't the example, just so we're clear on that. But we never stopped serving all the way through it. And I promise you, my wife wanted to know that she had her best friend alongside her to serve together. But if I had said, you know what, I want to focus on my wife. I just want to focus on my marriage. What God wants you to do is he wants you to focus on him. And inherently loving God, you're going to love your wife the right way. I'm just telling you, men, your wife doesn't want you to just bail on ministry. He doesn't want you to bail on your call. He doesn't want you to bail on serving in the local church. He wants you to do it together. Can I, all right? I, just, I don't know if you agree with that or don't. I'm just telling you, if you ask any of my three kids, I've got three of them. They've never known us away from ministry. And I'm not talking about you need to be a pastor of a church. Please don't crave this because this comes with a whole lot of extra stuff. I'm, t I'm telling you, there are days I don't know why, but I'm, I'm here. I'm telling you, it's an honor to be here, but I'm talking about I did this when we were leading a life group. I did this when we stacked chairs. None of our three children know a time where my wife and I did not serve God, and I don't think any of them would say that they regret it or that we spent too much time doing it. None of them would. They don't regret it because I've got two of them. Nope. Three of them are serving in this church right now as well. She's, my youngest one is nine. I don't even know. What? Like, why is she? Okay. She, she mans the, she, she watches over like the kid life cash over there in the back, and she watches the bank, and she's like, I don't know, she's like the boss of the money, and, you know, when you're buying the squeaker toys and things like that with your kid life cash, don't try and double cross her with money. She will cut you down. Okay. 
Sorry, I don't know where that came from. Um, here's the last thing I'll say this, and uh, I'm, I'm, I'm over. Um, some of the excuses seem legit. They seem, they seem legitimate. But the problem is sometimes we look at it as an excuse, and God wants to use it as an opportunity. He talks about a vineyard owner who had this huge vineyard. Jesus said there's a, a guy who owned a vineyard, and he went out to the street to hire help. And he hired help because he needed people to come and get the harvest. And, and he hired help, and they came at 9 a.m., at noon, at 3, and at 6. They came in different shifts. And the guy that worked at 9 worked all day. Let's say they worked until 9 p.m. He lines them all up at the end of the day, and he pays them the exact same wage. You're going, what? Now, the first few guys who worked early, early shifts, they're union guys, okay? They're union, United Auto Workers or whatever. They were out on the, oh, gosh, don't get me started on the union. Um, I, I won't go into that story. There's a story. He pays them all the exact same wage. And these guys get ticked off. They're like, why can't you know it? These guys work for two hours. We worked all day. Why are you paying us the same thing? And this man says, he goes, do I not have the right to take what is mine and choose who I bless and who I don't? And my choice is that I choose to bless all of you the same. That's what God has given me is an opportunity to bless people, not to lord over this whole thing. The exact same thing. A landowner, the other guy has an excuse where he goes, I own land. I got to go work it. I'm sorry I can't do it. We look at it as an excuse God may be giving you an opportunity. He may be giving you a chance to do something with what he's given you, what he's put in your hand. I want to, I'll, 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 this is the last thing. Occupy all streets. It starts with occupy all hearts. If God doesn't have all of this, it doesn't, it, 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 it'll, never, it'll never play out. He wants all of your heart. He wants all of you. And I'll, I'll, I'll say this statement. We talk a lot about adventure. We've heard that word. We've heard that hashtag. And I, it's incredible. Adventure is amazing. But you were never created for an adventure. You were created for the adventure of reaching other people. That's what you were designed for. No other adventure will give you any satisfaction. I see young people sometimes, they're like, I, I, want, I want to go after this and all these different things and dreams and all that kind of stuff. At the end of the day, the only people who really, really get through college, young adults, starting off their family, the ones who thrive, they're the ones who focus on what God's called them to do, and they always remember that they're not here for themselves. It's not all about I. It's about the person that's next to you, and the reason why they do that is because they love God. Occupying all streets starts, first of all, with letting God occupy all of your heart. Let's pray.